Hey, everybody. It's Jackie Johnson, host of Natch Butte. We talk skincare, we talk makeup, we talk all things beauty, and my guest this week is Ariana Maddox. Hi. What do we talk about, Ariana? Oh, my gosh. We answer all of your questions. We do. We talk about how our dogs were in a Pharrell video together. We talk about... Um, exfoliation. Oh, we talk about exfoliation. We talk about uh, tanning, self-tanning. We talk about laser hair removal. We, we go there. We dive, do a deep dive in my makeup bag. We And Tom's. And Tom's. <laughs> and Tom's Sandoval's. So maybe check out Natribute this week and see what we're talking about. See you there. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Hey, folks, before we get into my show, I uh, want to talk to you about, uh, I want to talk about sex and your sex life. Um, if it's not going well and you want to fucking get it really exciting and uh, you've just been wanting to surprise your gal or guy or your gal and guy if you're into that sort of uh, three-way thing with like a new uh, toy, get a toy or a movie. Well, here's an offer you can't resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only, and you'll get 50% off on just about any item. 50% off to get off. <laughs> Adam and Eve, you can have that for free. I just made it up. But that's not all. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs. Yeah. Three adult DVDs for, you know, little help in that, you know, get your boner going. Plus, you'll also get a free extra gift so sensual, I can't say what it is because I'll ejaculate. <laughs> and to top it all off, uh, Adam and Eve, they'll throw in uh, free shipping on your entire order. Pretty goddamn nice of them, huh? So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type in the code word DeWire, D-W-Y-E-R, for the offer code upon checkout. That's where you want to do that at the checkout. You type in DeWire, D-W-Y-E-R. And I hope when you ejaculate, you say D-W-Y-E-R. When you do type in this code, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. So use the offer code D-W-Y-E-R at adamandeve.com. trying not to cough. I have that weird tickle in the back of my, like, throat, where I know I'm going to cough, and it's, I got this, like, weird little cough right now, and it, I sound like a creepy old man in a park when I, you know, staring at kids on the playground when I cough. It's, uh, and then I cough, and it gives me a headache, and I already have a headache, because I drank some Irish whiskey last night, and, uh, that, boy, that, you just, you just need to drink that shit one night, and you know why the... British were able to occupy Ireland for hundreds of years because you don't want to do anything. I'm sure the Irish were just like, yeah, come on in. 
we're just going to go lay under a tree for a while and uh, eat some salty meat because that's what this, like, that's what Irish whiskey, it just takes a, knocks the wind out of your, knocks the wind out of your IQ. You just, you just like want to drool and masturbate and eat salty things and pray for a slow death. <laughs> I don't know who would pray for a slow death, honestly. Like, oh, this is miserable. Please keep it going. Please, just another month of this excruciating pain, please. Oh, boy. Uh, my guest today, sorry, is Doug Mesner. He's a fascinating guy. Uh, and he's one of the big dudes behind uh, the repressed memory. He debunked, he helped, He's. it's been debunked that repressed memory is not real. Uh, it's a tool a lot of uh, charlatans use to manipulate people. Um, and uh, some people claim they have repressed memories, and then they sue people for money, like an ex-girlfriend of mine, uh, when they weren't actually had a horrible traumatic thing. So this is Doug Mesner has a very impassioned uh, view about this world, and it's a pretty fascinating talk. You may remember him, though. He's He did two other episodes. Uh, we talked about the uh, he, Fred Phelps and uh, satanic scares. So it's good stuff. Why don't we just listen to it? Now, the, I, I, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, now you weren't the, ma were you the main guy who debunked uh, the repressed memory uh what is that? Is it a theory? <laughs> when it's not true? What is it? What is? Were you the main guy, or uh, were there? Was it like a whole movement? No, no. You know, it seems to be. Uh, it seems to be a, a misinterpretation, a common misinterpretation now that I'm like the, the one guy. But um, I'm a Johnny come lately, really. This uh, this was before my time. This stuff started up, um, and it was. You know, I grew up in the shadow of the satanic panic, hearing these stories of. Uh, of satanic cults murdering people and that kind of thing. I was just a little kid when this stuff was starting up and the whole controversy surrounding it, um, really took place in a time where I, I couldn't have had anything to do with it during the, uh, eighties to through the, up to the mid nineties really was when the legal battles were fought. Um, I'm just the guy who came around later and saw that nothing had changed nothing really substantially had changed within the uh, psychiatric field to stop people from doing this. Uh, some of these notions lost favor with, with mainstream credibility, with mainstream media after Geraldo ran these programs about uh, recovered memories of satanic abuse and that kind of thing. And they were largely debunked and there was a lot of legal cases that went through the court system that showed uh, psychiatric malpractice and, people were less prone to bring their delusions into the courtroom after that. But, um, I, it's not just limited to, uh, satanic though, right? Cause there's a, it, when people are sexually abused, uh, or wasn't it also a big thing with sexual abuse in, in general where it's like, Oh, I had repressed memories and now I remember uncle Tommy fingered me, but it wasn't always true. Correct. Right. Well, that's when people are trying to debate with me about this, they try to narrow the focus to just that. They, they, they claim that the idea 
is simply that certain traumas prove so damaging that the conscious mind can't hold on to them. It represses them into this compartmentalized part of the mind that can then break off into other personalities. That's the, um, that's the theory behind, uh, behind multiple personality disorder, which is now called dissociative identity disorder. So they like to keep the argument just focused on this idea that trauma can be repressed in this way. And then it seems it's a more palatable argument for the masses because this is an idea that's really entrenched in our culture. Everybody knows this idea of repressed trauma, this kind of Freudian idea that if you have some kind of malaise, depression, anything like that, it could be rooted back into some unrecognized trauma in your past that if you just acknowledge, you can have this kind of abreaction assimilated into your um, into your consciousness and thus be rid of it and be rid of the problems that uh, co-occur with that. Well, there's not good evidence for that, but nor is that really the argument I, I take on to begin with. Because where this has gone, this idea of repressed trauma, is that there's accurate recall of these repressed traumas that can be brought forward either by hypnosis, sodium amytal interviews, or whatever else, or uh, art therapy, whatever, whatever causes these people to remember the trauma that they supposedly had. And since a lot of this can't be verified, a lot of past events can't be verified, the idea was also that if somebody says this is so, it must be true. Nobody's going to lie about being abused or anything else. And, and, or, if they, or even if they did, it doesn't matter because um, this is what the, the client has given you to work with, and this is so you have to take it seriously. So it, it's kind of well-intentioned in that way, but it doesn't really meet the reality of it because it's given a carte blanche to people to completely re-narrate their entire lives in ways that can be disproven. You know, th then we get these ideas of satanic cults, uh, the family, you know, somebody's father, of course, was a satanic high priest and traumatizing them through this mind control program. And you get this whole conspiracy narrative of the satanic cult underground that, uh, initiating uh, abuse tactics against children specifically to enact a certain type of mind control and split them into multiple personalities. But as you said, it's not only satanic cult abuse that comes up from this narrative. It's also alien abduction. And the alien abduction set also uses the same standards of evidence to prove that their clients have been abducted by aliens, and they use these retrospective surveys. And the disturbing part is, is the alien abduction set is no different than these psychiatrists who are lauded within the field of uh, dissociation studies for their research. It's the same technique. They they do these retroactive surveys, they uh, or retrospective surveys. They have these clients who are already who already believe in these narratives. And then they simply give them a survey asking them about the finer points of these items. They quantify the, uh, the similarities, and then they say, well, there must be something here. There's this certain consistency to this narrative that couldn't be true unless it were something were actually happening of this type. Ignoring the fact that 
people generally know what the narrative is to begin with, and a lot of these psychiatrists who work in this kind of field are sharing this delusion with one another. And they do it with organizations like the International Society uh, for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, the ISSTD. They're actually this big and, and, uh, and unjustifiably respected organization of people who study trauma and dissociation. And they, they spread delusion on the, in the underground of this, you know, away from the cameras or whatever else. So their last uh, annual conference actually had a lecture on, on ritual abuse by a couple of very delusional, discredited therapists, Ellen Lachter and Valerie Sinison. I mean, these people are really over the top, and they used a, a book to support their their uh, ritual abuse narrative, and the book was called 22 Faces, which is by this crazed Mormon con woman who claimed that she was a, uh, she was a, uh, a consultant for the Utah, uh, what was it, district attorney's office or something like that. Uh, and it uh, turns out, you know, some of the people I, I conspire with we uh, we checked into this and it turned out she was completely lying. The the office got back to us said that she had nothing to do with them. Um, she was putting herself out there as a therapist. She's unlicensed. She was on Doctor Phil. I don't know if you know about that whole episode. Her book was supernatural in its narrative. It's it's kind of a good uh, case study to look at if you're trying to see what I'm talking about. How they put these kinds of things out there as though just the surface of it will be that this is completely a story about a, a psychiatric condition, you know, about victimization through child abuse or whatever else. But then you look at the book, and it's about, uh, it, it has demonic possession in it. It has levitating Satanists in it. It has a, a Nazi, it, it has a Jewish Nazi mind-controlling uh, villain in it. It's just the most absurd story you would ever read. And this this book is being held out as, as evidence of a of a phenomenon at an ISSTD conference where people can get continuing education credits to go to this kind of fucking uh, <laughs> it's, it's just unbelievable. So there's kind of this counterculture, this sick little counterculture within the uh, within the mental health field that would be funny if it weren't for the fact that they're exploiting people who really do need help. I mean, think of the people who come to these people for help. They need help, you know, and they're getting delusion instead and they're not getting better. And that's what really got me going on this because I had an idea of what was going on. I was investigating the idea of cults and satanic panic, right? I wasn't, I wasn't uh, investigating repression first. I was, uh, I was hunting down this cult called the process, so I started doing that. Oh, I know and a lot of people. I know a lot of people who did the process. <laughs> well, and then I went to a a, a smart conference. Uh, smart is a, an acronym for this organization, and it stands for Stop Mind Control and Ritual Abuse Today. And I, I go to this conference, and um, you know, I thought, I don't know, I don't know what I thought. You know, it was supposed to be about mind control and ritual abuse, so that sounds interesting. We'll go check it out. 
But you go there and you see these people who are actually licensed therapists talking the most crass delusions you could possibly think of. And I got there and they were actually selling, they're actually selling uh, electromagnetic beam blocking hats. That That's, you know, that's standard muttering delusional uh, street vagrant kind of stuff, you know? What is that supposed to do? Keep... <laughs> it's the it's the tinfoil hat theory, you know? <laughs> so, you know, obviously you have very disturbed people there. And, and there was some old woman who, um, you know, morbidly obese and, uh, and elderly, and she was talking about how her family was all part of this satanic cult, and her rheumatoid arthritis was even... Uh, due to the ritual abuse she had, and she had been saying that she had uh, uh, some kind of insulin reaction or whatever. She was having uh, sugar level problems. She was diabetic, and she was describing these symptoms of uh, of mind control and ritual abuse. And they sounded like she needed to go back to a doctor and talk about her her insulin levels or whatever. And uh, that's what kind of struck me as the as the real crime of this is that here was a woman who obviously needed medical attention and needed legitimate psychiatric help. And here she was amongst these professionals who were, who were feeding her delusion and probably helping her stay away from her family, which might be the only people right now who would help her. So I could instantly see that people were being victimized by this. And the organization smart is run by this, little shit named Neil Brick. He's he's actually, when I first saw him, he's this staggering little moron with this uh, greasy comb over and thick glasses, and he's very short and very frail. And not only is he not in shape now, but he looks like he never could have been in shape. And um, I described this in a piece I wrote, and, you know, of course, some of his defenders say it was really lowbrow of me to talk about his physical appearance, but I, I made that point because he claims that he was this secret assassin for the MK Ultra uh, Illuminati Freemason CIA set within the U.S. government, and he recovered these memories later on. And uh, so I, I just couldn't imagine this guy being set out at, sent out as the government hitman. But... Um, so I wrote this piece about the conference on process.org, which is a website I do with a couple other guys. And I, I talked about the ridiculous things that were being talked about there, you know, up to and including a woman talking about how she was uh, personally abused by uh, one of the Nazi scientists. She had to have been all of 40 years old, you know, and she said she was handled by one of the one of Hitler's own Nazi scientists. Well, I didn't really see that. But she was also talking about how he was using demonic harmonics to open up quantum portals and that kind of thing. I mean, really unhinged. But anyway, so I wrote this piece, and um, he decided to sue for defamation. That's a suit I still have pending right now. But what's funny about the defamation suit is not a single point, a single factual point in the article is being contested in this defamation suit. So I guess that gives you an idea that that pretty much confirms that there's nothing that can be fought there. Instead, him and some greasy lawyer poured over uh, anything they could find written about him on the Internet and decided to attribute it all to me. So 
So anyways, I'm still fighting that suit right now. But Brick is very open with his delusions. He wrote about it. He's written about it online. And uh, he, he even did some speech. He has the full text of it. I have it up here. He was talking about last summer after the conference. So keep in mind, this is after one of his conference. So he's already invested in this idea of uh, government abuse and everything. So he says, after the conference, we went to a restaurant. After dinner, all of a sudden, I had a very strong ab reaction. All at once, I kind of felt that I'd, I'd had the wind knocked out of me, but it was much stronger. I felt like I knew I was Illuminati or whatever at the moment, or at least government and deep cult. I was very disorientated. And after finding my car, I was very scared and unable to find my way to the highway for quite a while. I realized that this was programming. I thought that the police or whoever were going to get me because I had remembered, and even after finding the highway and getting home, I was terrified and scared that I would be killed, that someone would break in or come and get me. So this guy has an attack of paranoia. He's already invested in this idea of government mind control and Illuminati cults. He puts it in that context that his paranoia has struck him because they're coming to kill him. It's, it's incredible. And this guy is a licensed therapist. That's the... That's the... Uh, that's the crime of it. Now, do, but, these, do these guys he, fucking believe this bullshit, or do they, or are they I, con artists? Well, that's always the big question. Like, do they really believe this shit? And you can't. I think there's an interplay between uh, being a con and being delusional yourself. You know, I think they convince themselves of it at times, and other times it's just kind of a convenient uh, uh, scapegoating technique. I. I I don't think there's a real clear distinction you can make between being a con person being entirely delusional. But Neil Brick, I mean, it sounds to me he might need some help. You know, <laughs> he's really describing a, 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 a spontaneous panic attack. And, and I, I just, I don't think he's well. And that's, you know, but... The, the real outrage there, though, is against whoever would employ him, uh, this this uh, mental health agency in Massachusetts, and that he can actually be licensed. And I, I would like to know if they disclose to any of the people he's working with that, this, I mean, they should have some serious questions about his own mental health. And, you know, that it plays in, they can't say that this doesn't play in with his his professional life. I can't imagine it doesn't. I mean, if this person really believes that uh, this kind of trauma theory that uh, personal problems can be caused by the suppressed trauma and that, I don't see how it couldn't overlap with your with your therapy work. My, my uh, girlfriend had uh, an experience where a therapist was like trying to probe and like saying that uh, like maybe they should do hypnosis and find some memories. And she was smart enough to be like, yeah, none of that happened. <laughs> it's like, well, it, but it's not a matter. That's the thing. It's not a matter of being smart. You know, I mean, if she was a bit more distressed and, and only just a bit more trusting of the authority, then because that, that's the real sad part about this is after I went to this mind control conference and I wrote this piece, the, the backlash is, is amazing. These, these people are very invested in this, so they throw a fit. You know, Neil Brick and his, you know, he's, he's trying to sue now, of course, and, uh, and these people who follow him, 
they they were firebombing the uh, the article online. I I was writing for Examiner.com, and they were calling up the editor there, um, harassing him daily. And they finally pulled the article. They they gave up their weak need. They're not a real news outlet by any means, and they just didn't want the trouble, so they they pulled it. But um, they they. The thing is, is they take this kind of moral high ground. They've learned what works for them, and what really terrifies people is to be accused of of pedophilia or being uh, or defending pedophilia or anything else. And uh, so they take up the banner as though they're fighting against pedophilia. They don't really care about children. They don't care about uh, victims of pedophilia unless you're talking about them in particular. You know, they have this kind of victim culture where when they're talking about victims they're talking about themselves in a very self-serving self self-entitled self-absorbed narcissistic way and what they mean is that the world owes them everything because they've declared themselves a victim and even if you can disprove their victim status all you're doing is claiming that child abuse doesn't occur and that's what i get i get this kind of defamation of myself all over the internet where people claim I'm defending pedophiles or whatever, or that I don't think pedophilia exists or that child abuse happens. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. I think one can both acknowledge the plight of children and and agree that uh, wearing an electromagnetic beam blocking hat is <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I mean, I had... I have firsthand experience with people using this kind of garbage as uh, my, uh, as manipulation. My my ex was uh, for years told stories of how uh, her uncle abused her and stuff, and and was saying it was repressed, and then it was, and then she just used, and then she, then she admitted it was a lie, uh, but, she, but the whole time she was like using it to like uh, sue Starbucks, <laughs> and, and then after she said it was a lie, she came back and says like oh no it was repressed memory it was my father and she tried to sue her father and it was like this weird pattern of uh like i'm gonna say i got sexually abused for money and like was using the whole repressed memory and it was all that narcissism and (laughs) and it was narcissism playing victim and all that stuff you just said to get money and it's like people do lie about this shit and i kind of believe it was almost a a conscious manipulation on her part to just be like oh i'll use this for money they they do lie and and they don't have to lie too. That that's the thing. I actually got off course and now you reminded me. Sorry, I was up last night. Somebody's birthday party I was at last night. So I, I think I went off course for a bit there. But I was talking about how these people don't have to be stupid. You know, they just have to be in distress and believe in the authority of this guy who's telling them they must have repressed these things because the symptoms all match. You know, you don't have to be stupid to buy into that. You just don't know better you know some people are not into the topic or whatever but um there's a there's what's being called false memory syndrome and um what's been found is that people who go through this kind of indoctrination with these psychiatrists or whatever they go through these hypnosis sessions they visualize these things they put this emotional value onto these narratives they they cry in the uh, therapist's office and that in itself is considered uh, evidence that this all must be true because there is this emotive value on what they're recalling or supposedly recalling. You know, it resonates with them. It must be true. I mean, never mind the fact that people can cry watching a movie or whatever else. You know, topics come up, that kind of thing. I mean, these narratives are emotive. 
but they begin to believe these things, and there's there's no doubt that they actually do believe them. You know, and not in every case. I'm sure there's cases where people are just lying, or or, and it seems to me like there's a lot of cases where these people do have a lot of doubt, and you'll see that within this kind of victim culture. It's all about retaining this belief that shouldn't need this kind of uh, uh, maintenance if it's really a true story and really truly believed in. But um, it's it, it takes it seems to progress into this delusion that overtakes their entire life and um it's not so it's not necessarily a lie in fact uh professor richard mcnally at harvard did a study on people who were abducted by aliens people who say they were abducted by aliens and he took this as um as a group of people you could study who uh who had false memories because um, he, he wasn't uh, going to exercise the notion that they actually had been abducted by aliens. I know some people would, but um, but I don't either. <laughs> anyway, anyway, he found that um, when they had this driven imagery, you know, if they had this uh, kind of uh, narrative that they would read aloud that would explain the image, that would uh, describe the imagery under which they were supposed to have been traumatized by these aliens, their response, their psychophysical response, which uh, you know was measuring their their skin resistance and these kinds of measure, physical measurements of trauma, they were the same as people who had undergone actual confirmed trauma, like people who had been through battle situations or whatever else and were suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. When um, they were confronted with their narrative of trauma, they had the same reaction as these people who were recalling these false narratives of trauma. So once you've processed it and encoded it in that way as a real trauma, it really is a real trauma. So the damage that is being done to people, uh, victimizing them with a narrative of trauma that didn't happen, it, it's unbelievable. It's a crime against humanity. I, especially when you're attaching the person's family to this, saying, well, obviously you don't remember your father raping you or whatever else. Now he's implicated, too. And now the client is holding a delusion of something that didn't happen and one that takes them apart from their family, one that one that re-narrates them as a victim. It's just there's nothing good about this at all. I mean, and that's... that's a... It's the the lives that must have been ruined by that. I mean, if this somebody's like, yeah, my dad raped me, and his he didn't. I mean, people don't. People are going to believe that. You know, they're not going to side with the guy who potentially raped somebody. Like that's people just don't think that way half the time. Well, in, in lives continue to be ruined, and the thing is, is you you may have heard these stories um, about some of these therapists being brought to trial for malpractice on these things. But the fact of the matter is, those guys are, most of those guys, the, the important ones, they're still in practice, and they're still promoting the same shit. And there was a big case, uh, Bennett Braun, he was, uh, he's, he's a guy who, who really helped develop this whole idea in the, in the 80s and 90s. And he had a, had a patient who eventually sued him for malpractice, and she was an inpatient, and he was pumping her full of all kinds of drugs and giving her this weird 
narrative about Illuminati bloodlines and cannibalism and everything else. And finally, she got out of the hospital. She cleared off the drugs. She looked around for confirmation of this whole story she developed as an inpatient. And she just realized it wasn't true. And she sued him. And um, that turned out to be a big case. He he lost his his license was only suspended for a while, I guess. Um, he, he actually didn't have his license for a bit, but he's back in practice now. But it, what's more common is that these guys don't lose a license at all, even, even under the malpractice cases. I was talking to a woman named uh, Roma Hart, and she was a, a patient of uh, Dr. Colin Ross. And Ross was really instrumental in, um, in developing this whole idea and he still runs this, uh, he's, he's running a hospital-based trauma program in Dallas. And he has this, his program in three other hospitals, or two other hospitals, I don't know. He has the Ross Institute. But he started out in, uh, in Canada when he was working with Roma Hart. And she went in, I think she had like a, a sore foot or something like that. And she was looking for uh, an extension on... Her, her medical leave or something like that. She was a full-time student or whatever. And Ross decided that she had multiple personality disorder. And she ends up, is, is the most remarkable case. You should look it up. Uh, I, I have it on process.org, a full interview with her, along with these embedded affidavits and documents and everything else to attest to the veracity of this tale. So... But she ends up with this idea of multiple personalities, this massive satanic cult conspiracy. And um, Ross's record is very, very questionable. Um, he, he ends up leaving Canada to go to uh, Texas in the, in the heat of, of these accusations, apparently. And uh, I do have a sworn affidavit on process.org that claims he was actually fired quietly from Canada. So he comes over to Texas with no real repercussions in Canada. And then in Texas, another woman sues. And if you read her her affidavit, it's very similar to Roma Hart's. You know, the same idea that he was that he was telling her or coercing her to believe that she was a victim of the satanic conspiracy and it ruined her life, ruined her her relationship with her family, all those things. So he leaves the Dallas hospital. Uh, they pay a they pay a settlement to the to Martha Ann Tio was the name of the, the woman who was suing in Texas. So what happens with these settlements is the uh, the hospitals they'll they'll offer a massive payoff, and usually the uh, the understanding then or or the agreement is that there's a gag order then on the on the patient. The patient's not allowed to to speak of it, write of it, or whatever else. And then, uh, then the perpetrator, they've gotten rid of him from their hospital or mental health service or whatever else, so they're not concerned, and they just go off and do their practice elsewhere. And that appears to be the case with Ross. And that's part of what I wish would be revised here, is that these people can't be just shuffled around. It's like the... Uh, it's like the Vatican pedophilia thing, you know. They move these priests around to different spots once the heat gets too hot, and then they uh, then they pretend nothing ever happened. Hey, folks! Uh, just want to take a quick second out here to thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. It means a great deal to me. Uh, 
We put a lot of work into this show, and when I say we, I mean uh, Feral Audio, which is Dustin Marshall, a super-duper dude. If you could do us a huge favor and donate a little money, a dollar would help. Uh, you can go to my page at feralaudio.com, hit the donate button, and you can give a dollar to $10 to $10,000 to $0.50. Cents. I don't care. We appreciate it. If you can't donate, and I understand it's tough times, uh, you can use our our Amazon link. You just go to my page there, click on that Amazon link, and anytime you buy anything on Amazon, you know, buy some uh, shoes or something. Uh, I get a kickback of that money, and Feral Audio gets a kickback of that money, and we put that money back into you, the studios and the, the travel and magazines so we can be smart and interview people who have bigger brains than us. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer at Twitter.com there. Uh, and that'll help you. I'm going to go on the road for two months. At the top of the year, I'm going to come to your town, possibly, and do a live performance with Champ Kind, a.k.a. David Keckner. Uh, so please uh, follow me on those things. Now back to the fascinating Doug Mesner. Thank you. How does the science community or, or whatever the, the – I mean, how do they allow – how is this allowed to keep happening? Like, shouldn't they be like, this is not a legit thing. People can't peddle this bullshit. Like, how is it being allowed to continue? Well, you know, there are some good people who fight the good fight, but – there's also a lot of weak need approach to this. It's kind of the norm. You know, I, I think sometimes I'm looked upon as, as pretty lowbrow because I do make the alien abduction parallel and the, uh, and the, uh, past life regression parallel. And, um, you know, that's often considered bizarre and, and, and just kind of a lowbrow place to go. And I, I don't understand that. It, it, the, the thing is, these professionals within the ISSTD and that kind of thing, they're, they've kind of been allowed to control the narrative. They've been allowed to control the argument. And so they they strip it down to the, the idea that we're just arguing whether people can repress trauma or not. And that's really not the whole argument here. I mean, if, if we were to get a real solid case study that showed somebody was sexually abused and they completely repressed these the, the episodes in, in this neat kind of redaction they've got going on in their mind, it wouldn't do anything to help us prove that alien abduction is real, that the satanic cult conspiracy has ever existed. And I just feel like we concede too much to these people. We concede too much to these people when, when we say, well, but I'm not a Satanist, you know, which I, I stopped doing, you know, like, what, what do you mean when you say Satanist? You know, the Satanists they're talking about never existed. You know, I, I just feel like we owe these people nothing. And they get everything because they claim that they were victims when I'm convinced that most of them were not ever. I mean, isn't it if this theory of uh, repressed memory and trauma, blah, 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 would, like wouldn't dudes forget they were in Vietnam? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't they just be like, oh, no, I was out baking? <laughs> like, is it... Well, that, that, yeah, that's always been the... Yeah, that's always been an issue. And there's been studies on, on Holocaust victims, too. And, Holocaust um, children, too. I mean, if it was just, like, a thing of, like, uh, your youth, it seems like there would be a ton of people from the Holocaust who wouldn't remember that right. stuff. Right. There, there's always this bad research that uh, is done to try to, to try to justify this. And they, they've actually used... Uh, people who who subscribe to this idea of massive repression, they've actually used those kinds of studies to try to justify their uh, their position by 
giving these people these surveys and um, trying to get them to recall very specific facts. And if they've forgotten anything, they say that this is evidence for traumatic repression, when that's not the issue. Of course, as you said, you'd have to forget that you were in the Holocaust. You'd have to forget that you were in the war. You'd have to forget, you know, that these major episodes were happening in particular, you know, not just certain, uh, not just certain aspects of it. I mean, you're sure to forget certain things. Like They've done studies of trauma when it comes to the case, somebody's robbed, right? And a guy puts a gun in somebody's face and then they run off and the person has no idea what the person's face looked like. You know, they just, they just don't know. They don't forget that they were robbed. You know, they, they, but they don't know what the guy's face looked like. And the thing is they, they're on this kind of hyper focus, you know, they're focused on the gun or whatever they look and they're just staring at the gun and that's it. They, they catch nothing else. This is not evidence at all for this idea of massive repression. The idea of massive repression is something completely different. And this kind of shoddy work is, is scientific irresponsibility. And they get away with this kind of scientific irresponsibility. And they shouldn't. You know, these people really should be out of their jobs. It, uh, at, at best, they should be out of their jobs. You've got a guy, Randy Noblet. He's a professor at uh, Alliant International University based in Los Angeles. And he's a professor there. He was a program director over there also at Alliant University, was at least. And um, here's a guy who's, who's puts forward ideas that have been outright debunked. You know, he actually uh, is an associate of this Neil Brick guy at SMART. He's actually teaching kids. He, he, he did a course on ritual abuse I was seeing a syllabus for where he was actually talking about debunked things like the McMartin preschool trial, which were usually if it's brought up in a higher learning setting, we're talking about prosecutorial misconduct or moral panics or whatever else. But Noblet goes well beyond uh, academic freedom because you know there is a lot of leeway for academic freedom where you know you can follow the results wherever you want the school shouldn't step in or whatever but if you're misrepresenting empirical evidence i i think he should be fired <laughs> he should be disqualified he should have never been hired to begin with for one thing his uh the thesis he wrote when he graduated from texas was a work of astrology you know and this asshole's testimony helped put people in prison who are still in prison right now for a case uh, for a case of daycare ritual abuse. But um, here I have a thing pulled up here that's, uh, it, that was written. It said, Novelet cites studies as representing empirical evidence of ritual abuse, quoting, quoting short statements from them out of context when the truth is that the study's authors state that their work does not support ritual abuse conspiracy theory. One example of this is studies by Dr. Gail Goodman, Dr. Philip Shaver, and Bet Bottom, cited by Noblet repeatedly as empirical evidence, despite Goodman's own summation of these studies. Quote, our survey revealed that there was essentially no hard evidence of organized child-abusing satanic cults that had infiltrated preschools or the FBI or that had kidnapped or slain babies. In contrast, there was much indirect evidence of clinical induction of false memories and plentiful evidence of religion-related abuse, including sexual abuse by Catholic priests, so on, etc. So he's able, you know, he's he's comfortable contextualizing these things that are 
actually disproving his theory into supporting it. And this, this idiot's treating or, or teaching the up and coming. It's, and it's also, it's like they, they believe, like when you said the one woman, she talks about levitating and it's like, it's weird that uh, a, a large group of people are like, oh yeah, that's real. It's like that they... Well, they ignore that. That's the funny thing. I don't know if you know about this, but when that woman wrote the book, 22 Faces, um, I I wrote a review for about the book for, um, for Skeptical Inquirer. And what really first tipped me off about uh, 22 Faces is that Colin Ross, this respected uh, dissociation expert, who is also a past president of the ISSTD, he wrote the foreword to this book. And Ross has also written uh, the dissociative, uh, dissociative scale. Um, I forget the full, full title of it. But there's a, a kind of survey that's given to clients that's meant to measure their level of dissociation. And there's questions on there like, have you had uh, psychic experiences or, or, or possession, that kind of thing, which is a legitimate question to have on a psychiatric survey because you're just me- measuring what the client believes, right? And, and it might be, uh, it, it's certainly relevant if the client believes they've had this kind of paranormal experience. But when you have... Colin Ross endorsing a book like 22 Faces where these things are actually supposed to happen, it shows that, you know, it indicates that he actually believes this stuff, and he's the guy writing these kinds of surveys. In any case, another person who endorsed the book 22 Faces was also a president of the ISSTD, Joanna Silberg, and she wrote that, you know, people who work within the the field of dissociation studies or whatever... Um, are well aware of the types of abuse that are described in this book, 22 Faces. Like I said, 22 Faces has these levitating Satanists. uh, It it does talk about the psychic ability of the protagonist, uh, demonic possession. And and the narrative doesn't even make sense. It's not even internally consistent. And I was just going to write this review and leave it alone. And um, then it turned out... uh, Somebody messaged me and said, this woman, is she's actually invited on Dr. Phil. They're going to talk on Dr. Phil about this book. And I thought, how, how in the fuck is this happening? You know, didn't, didn't anybody read this book? It is the most ridiculous piece of shit you could possibly pick up and, and, and subject yourself to. And I had to read the whole thing because I was writing a review for it. But... I reached out to Dr. Phil's producers and said, you know, and gave them a summary of how already discredited and debunked the woman who wrote this book already was and um, said I was willing to speak with them and they didn't get back to me. And in frustration, I wrote an open letter to Dr. Phil and posted on Examiner um, just outlining all the problems with this book and and mentioning that that I just wanted this time-stamped article to be up online so people could judge his credibility when they were looking this up and they could see what he already should have known before he had her on the show at all. And so she got on Dr. Phil and the thing was, is it seemed the show was delayed. It originally was supposed to be on the past Halloween and, um, got delayed up until February or whatever. And, uh, 
they presented her as this therapist, and it turns out she's unlicensed, as I said. And uh, it, she didn't go over well on Dr. Phil because it came out that she had worked out this contract with the mentally ill woman she was writing about in which she would collect all the proceeds from from the book. And the woman whose life story it presumably was was getting nothing from it. So the audience was disgusted, the Dr. Phil audience. <laughs> But the thing was, is it really didn't, it was kind of amazing to me that that was the point of contention. I mean, that, that is something, the idea that she's exploiting this woman. That, just, that's no small thing there. But, but uh, when you have a story that obviously, by any rational standards, couldn't be true, I think that should have come up a few times in that, that, that dialogue as well. Did they? Did he play into the sensational side of the story as well, though? I mean, regardless of... Her... Well, he did mention it. He said it was kind of heady stuff, and he, and he said it in kind of a skeptical fashion, but he mentioned the uh, the Nazi satanic mind control, but he didn't, you know, he didn't go into the openly supernatural things. I mean, some, somewhere in the real world, there could be Nazi, Jewish Nazi Satanists, I guess, you know, it was a bizarre, bizarre ideology for them to hold to. But, um, but you get into a new territory when you're talking about people levitating and demonic possession and those kinds of things. And I felt like that, that should be mentioned that what we're dealing with here is a supernatural horror story. But there's another case going on right now, too, the Castlewood case. Uh, there was a eating disorders clinic in St. Louis, and there was a husband-wife team over there, Mark Schwartz and Lori Galloprin, and they were treating these people. And they're now being sued, and the uh, claim is that they were instilling people with this belief in a satanic conspiracy. And, of course, there's these uh, necessary overlaps with the ISSTD and that kind of thing. And the, uh, and the four cases that are brought against them now are very consistent with this idea of, of uh, false memories of traumatic abuse being instilled through hypnosis sessions or sodium amytal or whatever they were using. And uh, I guess the thinking was that eating disorders are are evidence of uh, of this kind of class abuse. Yeah, and, and I, I go through the uh, unpleasant the the unpleasant business of speaking to families who've who've lost their daughters to these ideas. You know, they they go into these treatment centers and then they're never going to talk to them again because they've been indoctrinated into this idea that they were abused by their family. And I talk to these families and they're devastated. You know. And they're, they're coming to me, you know, and, and what can I do, right? And that, that's, that's the, the rage of it all. I, I mean, I want to see these people's careers destroyed. I don't want to see them moved around. And now you have Mark Schwartz and, and his wife or former wife, Lori, now moving into Avalon Malibu Treatment Center. And, uh, and it, I, I really hope there's not another payoff I, I hope the case goes goes to its full fruition, and that the the victims don't don't allow themselves to be paid off because the the veracity of their claim should be should be brought out. Were they saying that it was satanic abuse or just uh, sexual abuse? The these two dipshits. 
Oh, I, the satanic thing plays into it. Um, I, I don't think uh, I don't think all the cases cite Satanism, but they cite uh, they cite this kind of widespread, you know, conspiracy of abuse. I mean, are they are the, all these assholes uh, like crazy Christians, or is it like you know, it sounds like tent revival bullshit? Like in the in the olden days, it sounds crazy that people would be like, "Oh yeah, Satan's making." is like it sounds just ludicrous well that's that's how it got headway originally you know uh the originally the book michelle remembers came out and that was a supernatural horror story too where i mean satan actually made an appearance in um in, in the book michelle remembers and this was actually supposed to be taken as a serious investigation into a psychiatric condition but it was written by this crazed catholic moron he was a psychiatrist, and he really helped spread this I- idea and bring it around. He actually had been speaking to people around the McMartin area. You know, he came and did a lecture and whatever and helped that whole thing kind of take off. So it really it really resonated with the with crazed conservative Christians because it, it gave them a, a devil to fight kind of thing. But... Um, it also, unfortunately, it really took off as a moral panic because it also resonated with a lot of different groups too. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian thing anymore, and a lot of times it's not. But at the time, it it really resonated with feminists because they felt that they needed to take this up because people were finally acknowledging this problem of rape and uh, and abuse that's going on in the background, and they have these really overblown numbers of of how prevalent these problems are that they wanted to hang on to. And so it became this kind of, it became a religious, uh, became its own religion outside of, uh, of any, uh, of any branch of Christianity or whatever else. Uh, the, the woman, the con woman who wrote 22 faces is a Mormon. And there seems to be a lot of, it seems to have caught on with, uh, with uh, quite a few Mormons actually. It was uh, one of the primary cases, Paul Ingram was one where uh, his girls, this was like in, in Washington State somewhere, his girls went to some Christian revival camp or whatever where the person there was putting out this idea that you need to remember your abuse, and they decided that he had abused them. So he was very perplexed and thought they couldn't be lying and he was brought in for questioning and said he he really didn't know what this was all about. And then he became convinced, they actually convinced him that um, he was repressing the fact that he had abused them. <laughs> you know, And uh, at one point, they actually got him to agree with this, and the poor guy spent this time in prison. Holy but the thing shit. about, yeah, but the thing about that was he was, uh, I think one of the important things to know there is he was, part of the charismatic church, you know, in the charismatic church, uh, is a church that will still do exorcisms, you know? And, and I, I feel like holding on to supernaturalism in general, that's always kind of been my fight is to, to, is against supernaturalism in general. And that I feel it, it, it opens you up to be a victim to this kind of thinking, you know, it, supernaturalism opens you up to be victimized by, these bizarre ideas that uh, there's forces working against you in 
internally that you can't see or divine and that some kind of expert can or uh, or priest or whatever can uh, decipher this for you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that people still choose to believe this bullshit. Like, uh, uh, you know, anything supernatural, like uh, astral projection. Well, it's, it's amazing to me that these people can still be in practice. Like I said, the ISSTD. I mean, I mean that organization should be a mark of shame. I mean, if you belong to, if somebody belongs to the ISSTD, I, I, I would say I would not recommend anybody go to anybody with any affiliation with those fools. They're a non-scientific organization. They, they, I, I'm convinced they've done more harm than good, and they will continue to do so. And they're holding on to discredited and debunked beliefs that are are part of an era of witch hunting and and are more akin to ideas of demonic possession than than anything that has anything to do with uh, with empirical research. There's another guy, Ken uh, Ken Olson. He was a, a psychiatrist for a woman I know, her name is Sherry Storm. But he also treated a woman named uh, Nadine Cool, and he persuaded her that she had some 126 alternate personalities, and included amongst those were Satan, some angels, and, uh, and even a duck. But... Um, <laughs> and it's... It's stated that, uh, you know, you can look up some of the news reports on this. It's stated that Olson uh, charged uh, Nadine Cool's insurance company for group therapy because she was all these different personalities. That's insanity. And brilliant. He's still in practice. This guy is still in practice at Bridger Psychiatric Service in Montana. So the, these places, these places and these institutions should be made to answer for that. I think the American Psychiatric Inst- uh, Association has completely failed mental health consumers by not issuing a definite censure on this because this stuff goes to court. And guys like Colin Ross come in as an expert witness, and um, they say, you know, yeah, well, this is this is the theory. This is something that's in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Dissociative Identity Disorder is in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Even despite its uh, lack of, of scientific backing, it, it sits in there. And they say, well, this is, you know, this is kind of standard treatment. So, you know, the, the, uh, the psychiatrist shouldn't be held culpable for, you know, going wrong or whatever else. Is Does that kind of personality disorder, is that act- an actual existing thing where it's like you know like almost a robin williams bit where it's like uh, not, like you said like is, is does suddenly that woman turn into a duck and like walk around it's like is that real well, we really wouldn't fucking know now would we with all this irresponsibility going on that's another thing this isn't like they're not doing serious investigations of this they're holding on to something debunked and it really helps muddy the waters on certain things i mean there's some people up to thinking that uh that this kind of multiple personality state can exist in such rare occurrences, you know, but um, it seems like in the cases of uh, the crap that uh, guys like Mark Schwartz or uh, Olson do, claims against them are accurate, then um, what you have is what's called a sociocognitive construct. These people are trained to behave 
in a multiple personality way. They're 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 segmented into multiple personalities by this kind of by this kind of coercion. It ends up being an actual condition, you know. But it's something that's been it's an iatrogenic condition, is what what that's called, and that means it, it's a condition that's brought to them through the therapy clinically. And, and that, that stands up to what I've gotten from the people I've interviewed, like Sherry Storm from uh, Kenneth Olson. She feels she really has suffered multiple personality disorder, but that she got that disorder from her treatment with Olson. You know, you have him getting her to contextualize herself as various personalities, getting herself, getting her to contextualize her moods or whatever else, or her states as, as different personalities, he's labeling her under different names. And so she feels it made her scattered. It did, you know, it was, it's something to get over. And that was uh, another, and I got a very similar story from a woman who underwent this with uh, alien abduction treatment. She went to a guy, uh, David Jacobs, and went under these hypnotic sessions. And she felt that, it really developed in her this condition. So, and that also, and that's also an interesting thing to keep in mind, because some of these people will claim, "Well, you're claiming that multiple personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, doesn't exist," and we have these functional MRIs that show that these people have these different uh, brain patterns when we call upon different personalities than somebody who doesn't who isn't diagnosed with this problem well that doesn't address the argument at all you know the argument really is whether this is a sociocognitive construct whether it was an iatrogenic condition or whether the condition was naturally occurring sometime before they went into treatment and if past trauma would have anything to do with that and there's no evidence of that yeah, it's remarkable it's remarkable how many fucking lives must just be devastated because of this it's insane it's like it's and they get away with it every day you know and they hold these these conferences and they say the most delusional things and if you say anything against them they paint you as a pedophile a satanist or whatever else and it just it drives me fucking insane because i really do have these people emailing me all the time begging me to help them and that kind of thing and there's not much I can I can do. I mean, I wish I could, and I, I really want to. I, I really want to bring this to a stop. I, I really want, and, and I think these people should be. I think these people should be avenged. You know, if the claims uh, the Castlewood families have against Mark Schwartz and Larry Galloprin are are accurate, they should be in prison. You know, they they shouldn't just lose their jobs. They should be in fucking prison. And they should never, and, you know, they, they shouldn't be taken seriously on the topic ever again. They should live in infamy for this. Because, and that, that might sound very drastic and brutal, but the thing is, I've been at this for years. I've tried correcting these people many times. They ignore it, you know. They, they, you can show them the harm they're doing. You can throw it in their very faces, and, and all they'll do is accuse you of being a pedophile. And, and that goes beyond, you know, infuriating. It doesn't even make sense. Like, I mean, like you, like, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm against this, so I must also 
diddle children. Like, it's like completely illogical. Well, what I was getting a lot is, uh, you know, I started out investigating these cults and going after the process. And, and, you know, I was interested in this whole satanic panic thing. So talking to self-identified Satanists and everything. And so I, I was all through the years, I was getting this kind of bullshit, like, well, you're, you're a Satanist and, and arguing it saying like, where do you get this? You know, why do I have to be a Satanist? And then, uh, you know, as you know, finally, I just, I decided to go with it and say, well, yeah, I'm a Satanist, you know, I'll, I'll define, I'll define that on my own terms, but it's like, that's just another thing that shouldn't be conceded. There are self-identified Satanists, you know, and their doctrine has absolutely nothing to do with what these people are talking about, right? I mean, we shouldn't even uh, we shouldn't even demonize Satanists for the benefit of these people. Well, like, you know, there's there's just no, no we we don't need to have a, a witch hunt based on on placating any any delusional group. And that sort of Satanist that they say, you know, like, oh, Satanists, they diddle kids and drink goat blood, like, that shit doesn't really exist, does it? I mean, it doesn't. No, it, it doesn't. And, uh, well, I mean, you you get this kind of interplay between culture and, and certain individuals. Like, I, I wrote about this case, this kid, Sean Sellers, he, he killed his parents and uh, killed a convenience store clerk, and he blamed Satanism. And so, you know, at the time, this was held up as, oh, look, this, this, all this stuff about Satanism is real. But the funny thing was, is, is Sean Sellers never claimed to have interaction with any satanic cult, and and he fully admitted that this was his complete own ad hoc creation of Satanism. And it was based on all the panic material of the time. So it was really the anti-Satanists who created that situation to begin with. Then you had a case like Richard Ramirez, and that he was during the satanic panic too. You know, he was just a very misanthropic person who, who was a psychopath. And so it was convenient to use the kind of satanic imagery. But as for this idea of a parallel society of Satanists doing these kinds of things just in the name of evil and detached from, and kind of this, these indoctrinated psychopaths, that, that just doesn't exist. And I gave a lecture on Satanism, uh, the idea of Satanism, at... Uh, for this cultural studies club at Harvard and uh, the Graduate School of Education. And at the beginning of the lecture, I had these people fill out these three-by-five cards to write down either, like, uh, I think the five most deplorable anti-human things they could think of any group of people engaging in. And, you know, these were these were uniformly consistent for the most part. You know, a few people tried to be funny or whatever, but... Of course, you have cannibalism, you have uh, child rape, murder, human sacrifice, those kinds of things. So, you know, everybody thinks of those things because those are what we consider deplorable things, right? People thinking of them isn't evidence that they've all undergone it, you know, and yet you have these narratives of, of abuse where they say, well, these are very consistent narratives. You know, they've all claimed that there's been this kind of child sexual abuse, uh, child murder, blood drinking, that kind of thing. Therefore, it's true. It's Well, no. We have this kind of limited menu of what we consider the most deplorable things. <laughs> you know? Now, if, the, if there was somebody who was... Um, 
don't know, if somebody needed to seek out, uh, I guess, help or like, like you said, people come to you for help, where are places people could go sort of to get that help that they people seek from you against these uh, fucking frauds? Well, I would definitely like to know about it, and I have a contact form on dysgenics.com, D-Y-S-G-E-N-I-C-S.com. And a lot of my articles about this are on process.org. But the probably one of the best organizations to have worked on this since, uh, since it was not easy to do so when you could really be villainized, is, well, we still are, is... Uh, the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which I feel I need to say I'm not a spokesperson for the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. I advocate for what they stand for, and they've, uh, I think they've republished some of my material. But um, the conspiracy theorists always always say that I'm, a, I'm an official spokesperson for the FMSF, and, and I'm not, so... But anyways, they're a great organization to look to. Their, their website's kind of outdated now, but I think they're revamping it. And we do have a closed Facebook group, uh, the False Memory Syndrome Action Network, where we try to talk about what we can do to um, bring this bring this issue out into the open and, and stop it. So if people want to apply there, they might want to send me a message on Facebook first because I try to filter out the uh, the fools, you know. Because there, there's a lot of angry people. We really do get assaulted on this kind of thing. There's a there's a brave woman, uh, Jeanette Bartha. She also runs a uh, runs a website, mentalhealthmatters.com, and she was a a victim of one Richard Hicks at uh, Friends Hospital in Philadelphia. And she runs a great website. She tries to advocate for these kinds of things and come up with different ways we can help it too. But I uh, I really don't know. I, you know, I've been trying to figure it out for years what I can do to really, uh, to really stop this from being a problem. I, I really thought the piece I published about Colin Ross could ruin his career, but he still seems to get away with it. God, it's amazing. Well, uh, thank you very much, Doug, for all of this. It was that was pretty. Uh... Pretty awesome. <laughs> so, and uh, once again, can you, before we uh, wrap it up, do you mind uh, just saying what your websites are again, just so uh, people can get that? Yeah, dysgenics.com. And uh, dysgenics.com is good because I have several people working with me on that site who are involved in this uh, in this issue. And uh, also uh, a journalist named uh, Ed Kara is writing on dysgenics and he's really following the Castlewood case from the uh, eating disorders clinic. And uh, yeah, dysgenics.com and process.org are really the primary sites. But um, I think my biggest fans are some of the conspiracy theorists who still buy into this stuff. And I, you know, my closing message for them is go ahead and fucking sue me. That's pretty great. Uh, thank well, you. Well, thank you, Matt. If if you ever uh, if if you're ever so inclined, see if you can get a get a little toad like uh, Richard Cluft from the ISSTD and one of the primary uh, advocates for uh, dissociative amnesia to come on and debate me. 
I try to talk to these people and they won't talk to me, so. That would be great. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Please uh, peruse the Feral audio page. Check out their other shows. Listen to them. You're beautiful people. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.